So this is it. A little bit about me. 30 seconds because my wife said I didn't talk about my family at all. Um, I have a beautiful bride. I have five kids. We homeschooled all five kids. Uh, the oldest just got married in July. Um, the other two are in college. So three boys, two girls in that order. Boy, 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 girl, girl, 22 years old, 21, 19. It changes every year. Uh, 17 and 15 are the girls. I have three thorns, two rose petals. My rose petals are here um, on this trip with me. And uh, what a delight. What a, what a delight it's been to raise kids in the ways of the Lord. You know, it is not our job to raise Christian children. It is our job as Christian parents to model what a Christian is for our children. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. I cannot save my kids. I can pour into them as much as I can. I can apologize when I mess up, and I mess up a lot. But ultimately, all I can do is point my kids back to the Lord. And uh, I'm very grateful for my wife. I say that we homeschooled our, our kids, but uh, you guys know that the women uh, do so much, and I'm so grateful uh, for my wife. We've been married for 23 years. My wife says it's been three of the best years of her life. Uh, it's taken God, obviously, to do the work. And and listen, I I, I want to say that uh, this message is really birthed from the 22 years of pouring into my kids and 32 years of walking with God and studying and sitting and traveling. Been almost 50 countries and 49 states. Just have Alaska to go. And if I knew that I was going to die tomorrow, if for some reason God gave me that insight, Mark, tomorrow your soul is going to be required of you, what would I share with my kids today? Or what would I share at my funeral tomorrow? That's this message. And this is, this is not anything new that my kids have never heard. I've been saying this to my kids time and time again. It seems like a lot of this stuff goes inside of the birthday cards every single year. James 4, verse 14. It says, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. On July 30th, 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata misjudged the shallowness of the Chesapeake Bay. And she dove headfirst, and in so doing, by misjudging how deep the water was, she became a quadriplegic and was not able to move from her shoulders down. She said these words. We are pilgrims who are walking on a tightrope between heaven and earth. We feel trapped in time, yet we have eternity beating in our hearts. Our unsatisfied sense of exile is not to be solved or fixed. 
while we are here on earth. Our pain and our longings, they make sure that we will never be content. But that's good. It is to our benefit that we do not grow comfortable in a world that is destined for decay. One day, when I get that six foot six body with a hairy chest, one day it'll happen. Until then, we are faced with death, disease, dandruff, and decay. And death will come knocking at a time when we least expect it. But the person who does expect to pass from time on into eternity is the person who is planning every day as if it's his last. Because one day he will be right. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. And living knowing that your life is a vapor is different than just living. Because yesterday I was three. Today I'm 50 years old. And it is really that fast. It is that quick. Both you and God are here to stay in this universe, either as friends on God's terms or as enemies on yours. And which it will be will be determined by how you respond to him today. That's what I would tell my kids. I would tell my kids that they have that appointment with death, that they will exist forever, that time is precious, life is fragile, and every time their heart beats, it is the drumbeat of their own funeral march. And youth is no guarantee of old age. Cemeteries are filled with people who died young. But in relation to eternity, we all die young. I remember I was at a cemetery in Eureka, California. I visit cemeteries whenever I can. And I remember walking through the cemetery, and I came across a tombstone. I don't remember what the person's name was. I don't even remember what was written on there other than a number. And the number that was written on that tombstone was 03201972. I'll never forget it. 03201972, March 20th, 1972. The day this person died, March 20th, 1972, was the day I was born. And I remember thinking to myself, does anybody have any idea who this person was? What's his legacy? And I would share with my kids that life is quick. And there will be people that will walk down, tread through the path that you are currently taking. That may stand over your tombstone and wonder one day, who was this person? Who were you? Scripture encourages us to number our days and our youth. If I were to ask you how old you are, you would probably respond with something along the line of, I'm 19 or I'm 32 or I'm 18. Well, I too am 18,430 days old. That's how old I am today. 18,430 days old. I'm a little more than 50 years old. Scripture says, let no one to despise you in your youth, to which I would tell my kids, don't give them a reason to despise you in your youth. Number those days, run your race, pick up the pace. As a father, I would tell them to pause and feel their heartbeat 
because that is their time clock here on earth. There's only one thing that's going to matter. What did you do with Jesus Christ? I would remind my kids that they're going to mess up royally, but where are they going to go now? Because he alone holds the words to eternal life. So if you are taking notes, I've divided this message into six points. Six points that I want to get to, and I'm going to get to them fairly quickly. The very first point that I would like to share with you, which is what I would share with my kids, is it's not about you. It's about Christ. What does that mean? It means you don't need to be in control. You won't be in control of a lot of things. You don't need to be in control because God is in control, and he doesn't need your help to be in control. So when things seem out of your control, remember God is always in control. And you can rejoice before him. You can walk through the storm with a smile on your face. I would remind them of Romans 8.28, which was what we shared earlier, that all things are working together for your good. When that bad news comes your way, remember that it's a stepping stone to get you where you need to be. Corey Ten Boom, I love that woman. Never met her. She's very not too far from where I live. I can't wait to meet her someday. But she said, there is no panic in heaven, just plans. God's not worried. He's not worried about your life or what's going on. I shared a quote uh, earlier when we gathered out here with uh, when I went through all the questions that people submitted. And I shared with them the best quote I've ever heard in my life outside of the Bible, and I want to share it with you here. The absolute best quote I think you could ever hear as you go through life was by a man named John Sale. He said, if I had the power of God, there are many things I would change. But if I had the wisdom of God, I wouldn't change a thing. Things are not falling apart. They are falling into place. And as much as things seem out of your control, out of place, no, they're not. They're not. They are beautifully put together. Corey Ten Boom, she had the opportunity to visit a warehouse where a master tapestry was being built. And the person who gave her the tour was telling her what was going on. And things did not make sense as there were people working from every angle, every area of the tapestry. And so Corey Ten Boom said, isn't she, isn't, aren't they afraid of making a mistake? They're going so fast. And he smiled and he looks up. He says, you see him up there? He's the one in control. When they mess up, he comes down the stairs, comes over to it, fixes it, and makes it seem as if it was always meant to be. He guides them with his eye. And I love that picture because those things may seem out of control. They're not out of God's control. And devotions are not an issue. They're not a problem. Should I have them in the morning? Should I have them in the evening? And we heard the other day, yes. Yes. Meditate on God's word. I beg you. I plead with you to meditate through God's word. I beg you to meditate on God's word, and I don't. I want to plead with you not to beg God, but to believe God that he's in control. 
That as you open up God's word, just believe it and settle it that that's it. If you're not meditating on truth, you're going to believe lies are truth. And as we read in Psalm chapter 1 the other day, if you meditate on God's word day and night, you're going to be like that tree firmly planted by rivers of water. You're not going to wither. Whatever you do is going to prosper. Everything you touch turns to gold. But that caveat, that catch, is to meditate on God's word. You want to be wise? Meditate on God's word. You want to know what to believe? Read God's word. You want to know how to respond or what the future holds or make sense of life? You want to withstand temptation? Read God's word. You want knowledge? Go to school. You want wisdom? Get on your knees. Read God's word on your knees. Spurgeon said, I will study myself to death and then I will pray myself alive. Pray in God's word and you'll be perfectly in prayer and unison with what God has for you in your life. Then you can delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We talk to different people that say, hey, uh, I'm going through the whole Bible in a year. And I say, that's great. But did it go through you? It's good to go through the word, but does the word go through you when you go through it? So I would tell my kids, Go through the word, but as you go through the word, say, God, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So point number one is, it's not about you. Point number two, God knows. What does he know? Yes. He knows. He knows. He just knows. You can be open. You can be honest. You can be transparent. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows your fears and your temptations. He knows what excites you. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knew what your name was going to be when your parents were juggling between half a dozen names before you were born. And he inscribed your names in the palm of his hand. My kids, listen, God knows you. And it's not on my bucket list to watch you walk down the aisle and get married. I might have the best seat in the house. In fact, I have nothing on my bucket list. There is nothing I need to do. There's nowhere I need to go. There's nobody I need to talk to. And I believe that God will watch over my kids in my absence just as much as he does in my presence. I can't protect my kids from harm. But God has ordained it. But be for their good and his glory. God knows you personally, physically, and prophetically. Number two, God knows. He knows you. He has searched you. He knows you're sitting down, and he knows you're rising up. He understands your far-off and strange thoughts. Wow, that is so beautiful. And he has pre-appointed the place and the timing of your habitation, as the book of Acts says. God made them in secret. Knit them together perfectly. He's the master artist. Every freckle, every mole, every hair has been specifically and strategically placed by him for his glory. If they were blind, it's because he made them blind. If they're deaf, he made them deaf. If they're dumb, he made them dumb. Exodus 3 makes it clear. It's not by virtue of the fact we just live in a fallen world. No, God is just in control. He's bigger than anything you're going to come up with. 
So yes, it makes sense to meditate on his word day and night. And know the character and the attributes of God. And then let him and glory's glory in this, that he knows me and understands me. I had shared with the group earlier, I said, listen, the, uh, the apostle Peter, he went through some things in his life. And if you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 38, when they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep on the pillow, he's asleep in the stern, and, and these are, some of them, seasoned fishermen. They've seen the Sea of Galilee get tumultuous, but so much so where they're beginning to worry and freak out. And they wake up Jesus and they say, hey, don't you care that we are perishing? <laughs> well, if they would have heard the words from earlier, the end of chapter 3, where Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to the other side. They would have held on to those words. They wouldn't have worried in the midst of the storm. I've read the last chapter. God wins. God wins. So I can go down the dark alleys with confidence. I'm not worried. But he wakes up Jesus and he says, don't you care that we're perishing? And then Jesus says, you a little faith. He looks at the sea and he says, Peace, be still. Or literally, it means be muzzled. Like a dog. Be muzzled. Let's fast forward to the end of Peter's ministry. In the last book that Peter writes, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Hey, a uh, little insight for you. I've been walking with God for a little bit of time here, and uh, I've learned something. You can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He goes from, don't you care, to even the small things he cares. And those big things, they're still small to him because he's so big. And you can cast it all, I would tell my kids this, Everything you got, every moment, practice the presence of God. Realize every step you take is a step with Him. That's crazy. That's extreme. That's Christianity. It really is. That is a surrendering all to Him. God knows you personally. His knowledge of you is infinite and it's intimate. Well, you cannot disappoint God because he's already anticipating it. He knows your birth date, and he knows your death date, and he sees you on the last day just as much as he saw you on that first day. He knows you're going to make mistakes. I mean, the man who put an eraser on the end of the pencil knew what he was doing. You're going to make mistakes. Call it what it is. You sin. Yep. Come clean. Infinitely patient with you because he sees you as a finished work of art. That's his poem. He knows you physically. God, why didn't you make me skinny? I did. You took over. My wife hates that. I say that. She says, please don't say that. Death cannot remove you from God. Distance cannot separate you from God. And darkness cannot hide you from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. Just stop running. God knows you all the time because he's known you before there was time. He knows you prophetically. His knowledge of you is realistic. I don't have time to develop that. 
But have faith before God. Faith is just simply believing that God is telling the truth. That's it. You want to have faith? Believe he's telling you the truth. Underline it. Highlight it. Stop allowing it to just be an adult coloring book. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. God said it. That's it. You should be afraid. You be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. I know who fights for me. I know who goes before me. I'm going to rejoice beforehand. I'm going to thank God in all things. I'm going to thank him for the trial. I'm going to thank him for the success. I'm just going to thank God. In fact, I have a thing. I'm going to let you in on this. Now I tell my kids this. I want to thank God for things that he's never heard thanks for. I thank God for these lights. I don't know if any of you have, but I have. I thank God for the dirt that's piling up here in the corner. God, thank you for this dirt. It reminds me of where I came from. Those same elements that are in dirt are in me. And from dust, I'm going to return. I want to be more thankful than you. So I want to thank God for everything. Psalm 57, verse 2, it says, To God who performs all things for me. And it's a messianic text referring to Jesus, the Messiah, that everything, everything beautiful, everything that exists is for Christ. So I want to say, God, thank you for this stick that she gets to enjoy. What was crossing your mind when that little seed grew up and turned into a tree that you were going to be crucified on? You saw that tree when it was a seed, and where that seed came from, and that seed, and that seed, and that seed, you went all the way back, and you knew it a billion years ago. You saw that tree that you would be crucified on, and you embraced it. Father, thank you for that tree. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I've asked God to uh, erase my memory. Ever done that? I've wrecked a lot of lives. I've, I've done a lot of damage. I really have. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, said that he was the chief of sinners. Before that, he said he wasn't worthy to be called a saint. He was the least of all the apostles, he said before that. But at the end of his life, he said he's the chief of sinners, I think just because he got a glimpse of the holiness of God. But I remember praying, God, will you give me amnesia? Let's have a fresh state. You say that I'm a, a new creation, fresh slate, let's go. And God says, I don't want to give you amnesia. I don't want to erase your memory. I erase your record. And he who's forgiven much loves much. Do you realize you have been forgiven by the only one who can condemn you? And I reached into the dark cavern of your heart, and I turned your heart towards me. Because it's not about you. Allow those failures to push you towards me. Yeah. I prayed for amnesia, and God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Don't be surprised when you fail. Take God at his word. Corey Ten Boom, she said, our outlook goes beyond this world because we're training for eternity. And in getting older, one discovers something about the plan behind all the little happenings of the past. When we look back and we see all these little happenings, we realize behind all of these many events, which did not seem important in and of themselves, there was a design, an order, a continuity. Everything is being used by God. Not one thing is wasted. 
Adrian Rogers said, when the Christian realizes that he is inhabited, he will stop living as if he is inhibited. What's holding you back? The measure of a man is determined on what it takes to stop him. What is stopping you? Take that step with your kids, with your wife. Though nobody goes with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. I'm, I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. Number three. We cannot waste time because there's no time to waste. Number three, be faithful with the small things. I would tell my kids, why? Because there's no such thing as small things. That small thing in your life is the biggest thing that God is requiring of you for that moment. And when you find yourself being faithful with the small things, pretty soon you're doing bigger things, and you think it's all the same. What can God trust with a person who gives it back to him? The world is yet to see. We hear about pastors falling into different sin, and I want to say this. Every private sin is an open spectacle in heaven. Every public failure is the result of a thousand private failings. We treat sin like a cream puff. We need to treat it like a rattlesnake. God sees it all. So I would tell my kids, listen. Those little things in your life, those little looks, those little actions, those little maneuvers, they're big. They're big. Come clean. Please, I beg you. If you want to be useful, if you want to be pliable, if you want to be moldable, then you've got to be faithful in the dark. Because who you are in dark is who you really are. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'll tell my kids, your Redeemer is bigger than your past. Be faithful to small things. You know what kind of a servant you are when somebody treats you like one. It's hard for me to go inside of a restroom and not clean the restroom. I was a janitor for three and a half years. I worked a graveyard shift, so I didn't have to be around people. Three and a half years working as a janitor, graveyard. Going inside of a bathroom. Got to wipe the sink. How about getting down on your knees and just cleaning around the toilet? Remembering who you are. You know what kind of a servant you are when somebody treats you like one. Of course they should treat you like one. Because you are. The least shall be great. You want to be great, you must be a servant. I don't understand God's world. It's so paradoxical. The two shall become one. The last shall be first. God's addition is different than ours, but allow him to do the math. Number four, reach out to the lost. Because the one thing you're not going to be able to do in heaven is share the gospel. You'll be able to worship. You'll be able to lift your hands to God. But how about lift your hands out for God with a gospel tract? How about open up your mouth as you ought? How will they hear unless a preacher is sent? Take every advantage that comes your way, every opportunity. Telemarketers, they're not an interruption. Flat tires are not a bummer. Share the gospel with AAA. Bad service at a restaurant is a blessing to share about grace. Ari Tori said, to win men to the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, 
It's the only reason why Christians are left in this world. Spurgeon said, there's no pursuit of mortal men to be compared with that of soul winning. And then he goes on to say, your one business in life is to lead men to believe in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything else should be made subservient to this one objective. Number five, as we skip stuff and we move quickly, number five, pick up the pace. Pick it up. I write it in my kids' cards all the time. They know it. Pick up the pace. You got one race. Pick it up. And the time when you pause, you think, I'm not going to do anything. Your book is continually being written. And at this moment, it's being written that you're not doing anything. Get back in the race. This is not a playground. It's a battleground. That's not a playing field. It's a battlefield. Put on the full armor and run your race. God's army marches forward on his knees, and you'll never stand as high as you do when you are on your knees. Martin Luther said something to the effect of, I spend two hours in prayer every day unless I'm busy. Then I spend four hours in prayer. Pick up the pace. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Life is short. Eternity is long. Pick up the pace. Just like any race, there's all kinds of distractions, right? We need to put into our Christian walk what collegiate athletes put into their workout. They say, go hard or go home. I say, no, go hard because we're almost home. We're almost home. When I was sharing with the Denver Broncos, I said, I shared with them something that a Navy SEAL friend of mine shared with me as he trained down in Coronado. He said, there's motivational plaques all over where you train. One of the plaques, it says, your only easy day was yesterday. And there's another plaque that would motivate him as a Navy SEAL. It said this. The enemy would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. I said, uh, the people vying for your position would like to thank you for not giving 100%. The people across the scrimmage line would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. Your enemy would like to thank you for not giving 100% today. And what is 100%? It doesn't mean a perfect life. It means you're walking in forgiveness, in redemption, and your kids are quick to hear you say, I was wrong. I messed up. We're not perfect, but we're perfectly forgiven. We're perfect in his eyes because he sees us as a finished product, but still there's a work to do. So step into the batter's box. Step out of the boat onto the crashing sea. Speak up to those who can't speak for themselves. Just like any race, it doesn't matter how you start. You may think, man, I, I haven't started very well. I'm not going very well. My race is pretty non-existent. You're still alive. The race is still going. Get in the race. It's how you finish. I have a little bit of time. My son, Ethan, told me that he entered into a race, a track race. And I'm like, what, what? 
I go, this is great. Okay, yeah, do it. And my other kids entered into the same race. And my son, Ethan, who is athletic, but not, was running the race. And as he was running the race, he got all the way around until he hit a place where he collapsed. And it was about 10 meters from the finish line. And he starts to throw up. It was messy. It was dirty. It was gross. And it was laughable. But at the same time, as a parent, I'm feeling like I got to do something about this. So what do I do? With 10 meters more to go, I look over at him, I yell at him, and I said, son, you're not giving up. You'll finish the race. <laughs> son, finish the race. Son, cross the finish line. Go, cross the finish line. And here he is, army crawling towards the finish line, throwing up every step with his arms that he took until he crossed the finish line. And truth be told, I actually think that Ella won the race. Do you agree? She's never gotten credit. But I yelled to Ethan and I said, Ethan, there's no giving up. There's no letting up. You will cross that finish line. Go to the finish line. Listen, a lot of us, we're sick and tired of this race. We're sick in the race and we're tired of the race. We're sick and tired and we're tired and we're sick. We're sick of being tired and we're tired of being sick. And we've made a mess. And God comes along and he says, I, 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 I bring beauty for ashes. I know how to take care of this. You're going to finish the race. You put your eyes on me. You may be throwing up and it may be messy, but there's no giving up. And I would tell my kids, things are going to be hard, but there's no giving up. It's not a playground, it's a battleground. Finish your race. Picking it up, last point, number six, don't waste your dash. What does that mean? It's that little line between the day you're born and the day that you die. That little hyphen, all you got. That's it. That's it. Some people's are a little bit longer than others, but I'll tell you a zillion years from now, you can't even see it. But that's all you got. Get away from the mirror and look up. Woe is me. But wow is him. Worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. Look to him. Don't waste that dash. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Martin Luther said, God creates out of nothing until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Remember, there's no such thing as a cool Christian. I think the last word that I would share under this point, before I let you all go, and thank you for your patience, I would just remind them that they were created by God and for God. God made them for his glory. 
If you don't see God in his glory, you will be mesmerized by fireworks. If you can't see the sun, you'll be satisfied with flashlights and streetlights. Your life will be filled with shadows, mirages, and short-lived pleasures. For in the beginning, God said, let there be light. For thousands of years, the sun has risen every day to make us thirsty for the light behind that light. But in the end, God is going to satisfy that thirst with an experience of his own brilliant beauty beyond all description. As Isaiah says in chapter 60, 19 to 20, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for your brightness shall the moon give light to you by night. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory, and your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of crying shall cease. So these are the six things I would stress to my kids if I knew I was going to die tomorrow. It's not about you. God knows. Be faithful to small things. Reach out to the lost. Pick up the pace. and Don't waste your dash. Don't do it. You may be throwing up, but you must never give up. This will take about a minute. And then I really will close. I didn't write this. It's not original, but it is wonderful. Since the beginning of time, there has always been a preacher who everyone listens to. He speaks louder than anyone I've ever met. He travels the world and has spoken on every continent. This preacher knows every language and he understands every dialect. He always has the final word. He doesn't mess around and he always cuts to the chase. When he calls, everyone answers. He visits the poor. He calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion and to those of no religion. He's no respecter of persons. He shows up when people least expect it. Everyone stops what they're doing when he enters into the room and they stare. He shatters life with his message. And the force of his sermon is so strong that no one can refute it. The subject of his sermon is always the same. He makes the heartless weep and the emotionless feel pain. He has no friends. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name? Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. What are you going to do about it? Hey, but listen, these are just words. Noise reverberating throughout our atmosphere latched onto your ear. They're only words, only noise, unless they're true. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much we kick and scream, that we will never be out of your will and our kids that come after us, and our grandkids and our great-great-great-grandkids, should you tarry that we will never meet, 
We pray, God, that you will save them, sanctify them, and set them apart for a holy work. We thank you that this life is not about us, it's about you. We finish the way we started. Worthy is the Lamb to receive the reward of his Son. In Jesus' name, amen.